I'm ready for spring. Anybody ready for spring? I am um, not a fan of winter. Not murmuring. Not complaining. Going to be content in whatever state I am in. Going to give God thanks for all things. I'm not going to let murmuring and complaining be a part of my character. But I prefer spring over winter. Um, winter's not my fave. Um, summer's not even my fave. I like spring. I like spring. I like that renewal. I like when you walk out that first uh, moment in the springtime. Uh, for us in Georgia, it's usually in March, maybe April, and uh, things are starting to green a little bit. The sun's breaking through. The skies are a little bluer, and you can kind of look and say, hey, I think I made it through another winter. And so, um, in case I haven't mentioned it, I'm ready for spring. Um, how how are, How is the weather where you are? How is it? Some of you guys are in the northern regions. i got friends up in Indiana that um, talk to me frequently about the winters up there. Um, I, I couldn't live up north unless God made me. <laughs> God would have to mate me. <laughs> I mean, he'd probably have to drag me. Um, I'm a southern boy, and um, I don't know how you guys do it up there. i got friends in the northeastern part of the United States, and they talk about like six feet of snow, and I, I don't even have a grid for that. I like pictures of snow. I don't. I don't like. I don't like texture of snow. I don't like the temperature of snow. I don't like the moisture of snow. Um, in Georgia, we don't even get good snow. When it does snow here, it's ice, and you know we're the laughing stock of, um, you know, people that live up north. Because literally, this is not even a joke. You get an inch of snow in Georgia, and they shut down the school systems. You get the threat of an inch of snow. And they will shut down the school systems. And main reason is, is because we don't, our tax dollars don't provide the equipment for, you know, proper snow equipment to clear roads and stuff like that. So, um, you know, we just, we shut down everything. And our friends from up north that migrate down here and they live here now, they just are like dumbfounded. Like, what's wrong with you people? Well, we're a bunch of weather cowards is what it, what it boils down to. You know, seasons are built into the, the cycles of life, um, both in the natural, you know, winter, spring, uh, summer, fall. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's very important that we understand that there's spiritual seasons. Remember the, um, the individuals um, in the Old Testament, they're called the sons of Issachar. And of them, it is said that they understood the times. They discerned the times or the seasons. And they know what they knew what Israel ought to do, and I've always found that a fascinating description, and quite honestly, one that um, you know I've asked God to help me have whatever that kind of anointing is. I want to understand the seasons that I'm living in in the kingdom. Um, I want to be able to discern from the Lord what exactly is going on around me. I pay much more attention to my internal atmosphere than I do the external atmosphere around me. I think that's wise. I would encourage you to develop the capacity to be uh, very keenly aware of your internal atmosphere, your internal uh, conditions. And um, I think that that's far more important than um, always uh, trying to discern what's going on on the outside. Uh, there's a lot going on on the outside. There's multiple layers of things that we do need to discern we need to be aware of what's happening externally um, in the world, um, externally in the culture around us. 
Um, I would even say externally, as we try to uh, remain connected and aware of what God is doing externally in the earth, um, God's doing a lot of things, by the way, in the earth. I'm, I'm, I don't ever want to be that guy who says, I know what God is doing in the earth today. Because, you know, there may be some arrogance or some ignorance or a combo of the two that's attached to that. I think we can and should know some of what God is doing on the earth today. But I don't know that any of us have a full register of all that God is doing on the earth today. And so I'm always... Um, you know, just a little cautious when I hear some somebody very zealous, very convinced, maybe even accurate when they're saying this is what God is doing in the earth today. I, I always want to say, try to, you know, tr- just trying to stay anchored in humility. Yeah, that is some of what God is doing in the earth today. But we have a tendency in the body of Christ, especially in prophetic circles, to um, take this very um, meaningful surge of revelation of we're seeing something that God is doing and then we conflate it and uh, we we make it the whole of what God is doing today. Um, I was in the book of Ezra uh, over just in and out of the book of Ezra um, over the last really couple of months um, and I go to that book regularly because um, part of Ezra's commission um, I feel like is um, representative of some of what God's called me to do. And so I go there for inspiration and for um, instruction. And how do we build the works of God? How do we stay in it for the long haul? How do we mobilize uh, the people of God to hear the voice of the Lord when he is saying, rise up and build? Um, and so the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are are great books of the Bible for me personally when I'm seeking those things. I was in chapter 9 just a couple of weeks ago, and I just sent an email to myself to revisit chapter 9, particularly uh, the first eight or nine verses of, of the book of Ezra chapter 9. And um, I, I, I just want to release something today. Um, I, I just want to submit something for your consideration as perhaps one of the things that God is doing today. Um, I see these elements in kingdom work. And again, I'm, I'm going to be the first to admit I have a limited scope of all that God is doing in the kingdom. I don't ever want to presume that what God is showing me is the primary thing God is doing in the kingdom or God help me, the only thing or the you know, foremost thing God is doing in the kingdom. We, we do need some humility on that. Prophetic people, let me just encourage you to mature in this a little bit, to um, choose your words wisely so that you're not over-declaring the significance of what God is showing you. It's significant because he's showing you, but you also need to recognize that um, he speaks a lot to a lot of people in a lot of different places about a lot of different things. And so steward and humility and maturity, when you get a prophetic insight um, or a nudge from the Lord about something he's doing, and just just make it what it is. We, we oversell a lot in the church. We just are trying to make it. It's got to, it's almost like there's this one upmanship, like, yeah, God was doing this last year. And this prophet said this, and this prophetic person said this, and this apostolic leader led into this. And, but this year, this is what the Lord's saying. It's like, we want to charge to the front of the line to be a preeminent voice or a prominent voice. And, um, that's just unnecessary. Just be a voice. 
just be a voice and speak where he allows you to speak and and then humbly recognize and be a listener, by the way. The best prophetic people actually listen more than they speak. If you're if, if people are constantly prophetically speaking, constantly, chances are they're running off of adrenaline more than they are off of accurate um, you know, hearing the Lord. And you, you you never really learn while you're talking. You learn while you're listening. And I think as we grow more mature in the prophetic and more mature in our proclamation to help people, the prophetic is not given to us in order for people to be ooing and awing over the word we received or how we released that word. Um, there's a lot of just, I think, unhealthy showmanship in, in prophetic circles. And I just believe God's refining it. I believe he's purifying it. And so when you get a word, just, you know, you're allowed to sit on it for a minute. You don't have to blaze it on social media. Not everything's supposed to be a reel. Not everything's supposed to be a TikTok vid. Not everything's supposed to be, I mean, quite frankly, not everything's supposed to be released from a platform. And so uh, having said all that, um, I do want to try to release something today in this episode of Mavericks and Misfits from Ezra 9.8. Just listen to this word. This is a historical, ancient word that is really contained in an intercessory prayer from Ezra. I'll just build a little context. If you read Ezra chapter 9, he's just become aware that the leaders of Israel, that remnant that has come back to Jerusalem to build the city, build the temple, build everything back up, um, he's he's found out that the remnant that had returned, especially among the leaders, they had already started marrying, intermarrying with pagan people. Uh, these are male leaders, and word gets to Ezra, hey, um, just so you know, while, while, while we moved back, our leaders, our elders, um, you know, our governors, our political and civic and cultural leaders, they actually started... <laughs> They started marrying again back into the pagan culture. They took wives from the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Egyptians and the Amorites. And like, I think it's very noteworthy that the, the, the unhealthy, dangerous pagan aspects of the culture were named. Like if you married a Perizzite, you married into the Hittites or the Canaanites, everybody knew that was a no-go zone. It was not bland. It was not a generalization. And sadly, in, in the church today, like we just, we're just kind of milky about this stuff. Like We need to start saying, hey, that's a no-go zone. Like You don't need to enter into mixture with people that are following the gods of the culture. And that's exactly what Israel had done. By the way, that's why they got sent into captivity in the first place. So Ezra gets back and this remnant that had been released to captivity for a second chance at honoring the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, that they got back to the place of their founding, back to Jerusalem, and they immediately started intermarrying with the very people groups that brought the false gods into their culture centuries before that eventually brought them into judgment, being sent away into captivity. So they went right back to their sins. And Ezra catches wind of this. He's told of this. And the Bible says he goes through some like dramatic displays of um, 
lament and grief and repentance. He tears his outward clothes, which was a common side of you know, grieving, but then he plucks his hair out of his head and he plucks his beard off his face. Ouch. Like that really happened. Like so wrecked was he and so under the fear of God that he pulls his hair out and it is his astonishment saying, what have we done? How have we done the very things that initially sent us away into captivity? Have you learned nothing? And so this leader is just grieved to the core. And he realizes, my goodness, we're already in trouble with God again. And so he he goes on and he he gathers some some God-fearers some uncompromised leaders. By the way, just it's not really important to what I'm sharing today, but eventually he called all those that had intermarried with these pagan women to to send away their wives and children. He made such a radical demand on them saying, "You have brought the wrath of God back on us. Cut off everything that you have sinfully welcomed." And so, I mean, you talk about radical He said, get rid of your pagan wives and children and send them away. Make no friendship, no covenant. Break every covenant you have with the gods of the Moabites and the Canaanites and so on. So it's very radical. And so when he's he's gathering around the time of the evening sacrifice after learning, you know, what had happened, he's, he's praying to God. He says, I'm ashamed of what we've done. I can barely lift my eyes to you, God. Our iniquities are over our heads. Our guilt as a nation, as a people have mounted up to the heavens. We have sinned against you from the the day of our fathers that sinned originally against you and sent us into captivity to this very day. We are guilty. Our kings and our priests have, have, have been destroyed because of the very sins that now this remnant is embracing. And so there's this lament and this brokenness. And by the way, just before I give you verse 8, let let me just say that this needs to happen in the church today. Um, I I don't, you know, I'm just going to talk about it. I, I, I don't know that I'm the guy. I'm probably not the guy that's going to lead the church in America back to a place of repentance, but I am going to put my voice in there. I'm going to talk to you. I don't have like an international platform or anything. So I'll just talk to you, but like the mixture that's being allowed in the church today, we all know about the scandal coming out of IHOP KC. And, you know, at the time of this recording, the thing's still not resolved, but people are just, you know, just going bananas over it. Um, you know, and this is sadly, it's nothing new. But this, these kind of scandals don't happen like one day you're wholeheartedly serving Jesus and walking in holiness and consecration. And then the next day you leap off a cliff to where you're, you know, potentially guilty of prophetic manipulation and adultery and, you know, all sorts of just terrible things in, in, in the realm of, you know, mixture and sin and compromise and hypocrisy. It doesn't work that way. It's always a slow drift. And the slow drift just isn't, it, it's not regularly exposed enough. 
And, you know, people that do talk about her like, man, you're just speaking death. You're, you know, you're, you're focusing on the negative. You're, you're, you know, you just need to recognize that like, as long as we're talking in tongues and we're in our Bible, we're not susceptible to that stuff. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I mean, how many times do we have to see this junk played out over and over again before we recognize that it can happen to any of us? And because that slow drift isn't addressed and people just are always being told, you know, all the good stuff being told how you know favored they are and blessed they are and you know anointed they are and it's about them and their ministry and their falling following and you know how and the, what the platform God's given them there's so much nauseating emphasis on my ministry and my calling and my this and my that and my leaders aren't making my my ministry you know platform expand and it's, it's really disgusting, but it's also dangerous. And so like we have to we have to understand right now, like when you've got worship leaders, people anointed and gifted by God to write music, play music and sing songs, and they don't have enough of the Holy Spirit to recognize that when they do that in front of a crowd and then they look at porn, or they sleep with their significant other, or they drink to intoxication, or that the mouths they are lifting up God in praise to are also mouths that that curse and use vulgarities or innuendo. There's something powerfully wrong when that kind of thing doesn't set off alarms in the church, or especially in those people that are doing it. When you've got preachers that are guilty of the same things, you've got prophets that genuinely have an anointing and a prophetic gift that God chooses to use, but then these prophets, because they, they it costs them so much to get the word of the Lord, that when that burden of the Lord lifts after they release that word, then they go and indulge their flesh as a self-entitled reward. You know, they go out and sleep with somebody or they go do hookups or they, you know, do drugs or they get drunk or, you know, whatever it is that they, they reward themselves in the flesh for a job performed in the spirit. And this stuff, guys, I don't want to be an alarmist, but I think somebody better sound the alarm. Like some of you listening may very well be on that, like that slow drift that you somehow have made up your mind that that's that these big scandals and stuff aren't you. But meanwhile, you're on that slippery slope because you're saying yes to compromise on a regular basis. And the, the devil will take five years just to get you into the pit. He didn't, he's not in a hurry. Like he, he knows that there are some of you, he can't just walk in on day one and show you all of this enticing flagrant sin. And you say yes to it. He, he knows that that won't fly. And so what does he do? Well, he's a slithering, subtle serpent. And he just kind of works with you over time, a little compromise at a time, a little deadening of the conscience here, a little permission to indulge this appetite here, a little, you know, just slow drift. And so with, with Ezra got back on the scene in ancient Israel, getting back to Ezra chapter nine, you know, he saw immediately what apparently hadn't been bothering too many people at all. And they've been living right around it. Ezra gets fresh eyes on it and we need fresh eyes. We need fresh eyes on our own consecration. We need fresh eyes on our own compromises. Um, 
I just believe this is the season. You know, I start out talking about the sons of Issachar. They discerned the times and knew what Israel ought to do. Um, we need some Issachar sons and daughters in the church who are looking and saying, this is like terrible. There's a lot of terrible stuff going on. And um, I don't know if I did a podcast on it, but I know, um, I can't remember, guys. I've done a lot of preaching and podcasting and, and talking lately. And I can't remember if I did a podcast on it, if it was a sermon. But the refining fire preceding the revival fire. And this is a season where God's refining the church. He, he's literally going to be exchanging people of mixture uh, for people of purity. He's not going to use people of mixture anymore. Like watch their ministries come to an end. Watch it. And he's going to take a holy consecrated remnant that have no name, no reputation, no resources, no platform, no following. And he's going to be bringing those people into the forefront and he's going to give them the mic. And people that have said no to consecration and holiness and repentance, God's going to say no to them. And I just believe we are in that season right now. So when Ezra shows up, he's lamenting over the embracing of, you know, compromise and intermarrying it was less about race and more about the Jews marrying people who bowed down to some terrible pagan gods. And so that intermarrying, that covenant that you have with darkness while, you know, still trying to retain the privileges of having the God of light as as your primary God. God's like, yeah, you're not going to use me like that. I'm not going to be used by you. So Ezra, you know, he's repenting and he's lamenting and he's, he's just, you know, he's like, God, I'm going to fix this thing. God have mercy on us, but you've sent me down here to Jerusalem. I'm going to fix this thing. And so he's, he's about to go ballistic on the whole, whole people, radical, powerful repentance being called for, but he gives this amazing glimmer of hope. And I love that because even in God's chastisement, there's hope for those that will honestly acknowledge their sin and let God deal with them. And so I love what Ezra says in Ezra 9.8. Just listen to these words. Like, listen. This is Ezra 9.8. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold or a peg to give us a peg within his holy place that our God might brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. I, I got to read it again. Okay. I feel this right now. I feel this verse is a word that God's offering to the church. And, and notice I didn't say the word, but it is a word. And so consider it for yourself. Now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and give us a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. Oh, Shabbat. I love that. What is Ezra saying? Ezra saying, oh my goodness, we have a really jacked up history, recent history with Yahweh. Matter of fact, it was so bad that he had to send us into um, captivity. And in the midst of our captivity, 
in the midst of us no longer being free to worship him in our homeland. He is allowing a remnant to come back to the holy place in Jerusalem. And he's going to make us a fixture. This remnant's going to be a fixture in the holy place. And while the nation in its entirety is still in bondage, this remnant is going to be like a, a, a stake, a tent peg, and it's going to be a firm fixture in the holy place with God, the, our God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because he's going to make us a fixture in the holy place where we're going to go vertical, where we're going to be purified, where we're going to be representative of those that aren't purified, where we're going to be a radical remnant unto God. He is granting us some favor. He's showing his countenance to be bright upon us. In the midst of wickedness, in the midst of mixture, in the midst of compromise, in the midst of a, a lot of embracing of things that are not for us, the forbidden fruit that we keep eating as a people. Just think Big C Church, the compromise in the church at large, specifically in America. God is saying to a remnant of people, I'm going to pour my favor out on you. If you will fix yourself like a peg in the Holy of Holies, if you will press in intentionally and you will be a radical Ezra-like figure in your own private walk, that you'll look at your heart and tear out the follicles of all that is dark and unprofitable. If you will grieve and lament over your own sin as a remnant, then my favor is going to rest on you and I am going to grant you a little reviving in the midst of an enslaved captive nation. That's what the Holy Spirit is just grabbing me by the collar. He's just saying, Jeff, read it, believe it, pursue it. Don't get casual. You know, you want to talk about what it means to be a maverick in this day? This is Mavericks and Misfits you're listening to. Maverick says, I am not going the way of the visible church in my nation. I am not going to be seduced by all the polish. I am not going to be another victim to followers and hearts and likes and retweets. I am not going to be a mindless Christian that feels like he or she is living in the will of God based on the popularity or applause of a church that doesn't even know it's enslaved. You go to your average church in America, your average church in America, most of the people, including the leaders, are enslaved. You don't have to like that, but I, I just ask you to get with the Lord and ask whether or not it's so. And even in those places where there are great works of God going on, um, I have often deep cautions in my heart saying, God, are those leaders real? Are they behind the scenes and in private all that we see them to be? 
on the platforms. God, are we drunk on power displays and great swelling words that maybe are prophetically accurate, clearly motivating, inspiring? God, are we are we intoxicated on their gift when their character is fouled and mixed? You know, um, I want the Lord to smile on you. I want the Lord's favor to be on you. Yes, I want you to have his anointing, but I'm going to tell you something. I don't want you to have revival fire in you before refining fire has purified your heart. The anointing will crush you if you're not sanctified and consecrated. It'll crush you. So many people are going after the anointing. So many people are going after favor in ministry. So many people are looking for advance. So many people are get, getting caught up on how the Lord is expanding their influence and using them. And they're not seeing the danger that their anointing is outgrowing their character. It can happen. Friends, giftedness and fruitfulness and moving people through the very virtues and powers and gifts that God has given you, it can be extremely dangerous if you don't have an Ezra-like fixation on the need to rid yourself of all compromise. I don't ever want God to use me beyond what my character can handle. I, um, I used to never think about it. When I was young and I was in my 20s and 30s and really probably in my early 40s, I used to I used to just want to be used by God. I, I looked around and saw the dryness and I saw the apathy and I saw the people that just were content to live with nothing. I'm like, man, we got to make something happen. God is worthy to be glorified. We need a movement. We need we need a tidal wave. We need a tsunami of power from heaven to, you know, transform the landscape of the American church. And I thought it was all about, you know, the right messaging, the right anointing, the right people, the right conference, the right, the right impartation. And now I'm just looking at it and I'm like, Oh my Lord, we just need to be righteous and humble and hungry. Ezra nine, eight. What does it mean to you now for a brief moment? Don't miss it. It's a brief moment, man. Doors open, doors close. I think right now, prophetically speaking, God has an open door of invitation to any Christian that'll say, I'm going to walk through that door. And when I walk through that door, I'm going to recognize I'm living in the holy place with the Lord and that I need to be a fixture in that holy place. So that within that holy place, as Ezra 9, 8 says, God may brighten our eyes. That means to open our eyes, to give us light so that we can be granted a little reviving in our slavery. Don't be offended at that. Our nation in America is slaves. It's a bunch of slaves in America. The land of the free, ironically, is a place of spiritual enslavement all over the map. And even the church itself is just chained to so many things. But Ezra 9.8 says, 
God's opening our eyes. He's opening the eyes of a remnant. And now, for a brief moment, please be captured by that. You don't have as long as you think to say yes, your best and permanent yes to the Lord. You don't have as long as you think to rid your life of every compromise. Because the refining fire is coming and once it begins to burn in your life, you won't stop it. So it's best to handle your junk with the Lord now as a brief moment of favor has been shown to you by the Lord your God to welcome you to be a part of the remnant that is given a secure hold, a tent peg in the holy place so that God will enlighten your eyes and grant you a little reviving in the midst of spiritual enslavement. So now you get to do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do with this. You can turn it off. You can say, hey, nice thoughts, Jeff. I got to go to work. I got to clean the kitchen. You know, I got to go get the car worked on. Appreciate the thoughts, Jeff. Pretty, pretty decent stuff. Probably worthy to be considered, but it doesn't really fit with what I'm doing right now. Please be careful. It's a brief moment. Far more brief than most are realizing. And what's at stake is this, that like the Lord's inviting you to be a part of a remnant. A remnant, by definition, is a minority. It's a smaller group than the whole. You got the whole that says, we belong to Jesus. East coast, west coast, north and south, Bible belt. You know, we belong to Jesus. We are these people. We are these people. This is our tribe. That's our tribe. We belong to Jesus. Okay, what I'm saying is that out of every little um, clique, tribe, people that run together, God's calling out some out of everyone. He's like, I'm actually creating a true remnant of people that are going to experience the brightness of my countenance for a brief moment. And it's going to, I'm going to revive them in the midst of all this enslavement. I want you to be a part of that. And here's the beauty of it. You can be, it's not a sovereign choosing of people. You know, it's not just God saying I have selected my remnant. They are who they are. They will be who they will be. No, he's actually saying my remnant will be any of those who want to do things my way, who want to be the type of people I've called all my children to be. There's only going to be a remnant that say yes. And they're going to experience reviving in the midst of enslavement. It needs to be you and it can be you. I'm praying that it'll be me. I'm committed. And every single day I'm being tested on it. So welcome the testing and respond. We will talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode. 